Flyers, that's right, PHLY. My name is Bill Matz. Woo! I am your director of fun and games for the evening. Joining me after this 65 plus minute one nothing victory for the Flyers on Long Island is Philadelphia's number one hockey beat reporter, Charlie O'Connor. How about it, Chuck? We have our first PHLY uh, watch party here at the New Wave. There we go. Wonderful listeners, fans joining us, and the Flyers treat us to uh, some free hockey. A lot of hockey. A lot of hockey. We get <laughs> 60 minutes of regulation, no goals, five minutes of three on three, no goal. Tyson Forster wins it in a, uh, one, in, in a the, one for three shootout effort. Overtime of the shootout, too. We yeah, got past we, the initial three. We got through the initial three, and we get all the way to the Flyers' fourth attempt, and they net one. I don't even know where to begin with this game. I, I, I guess someone someone said on Twitter, I retweeted them, that this was the most Flyers-Islanders game to ever be Flyers-Islanders. I guess they, they had, like, what, 40 shots on goal to the Isles 20. I guess the only thing that would have made it the most possible Flyers-Islanders is the Isles win. That's fair. That's so the fair. Flyers actually do it, and I think they came in in their last eight on Long Island. They were, oh... 0-6-2. that sounds right. And they came yep. in. They finally win one. Takes a lot of extra time, but I, I won't say the Flyers are actually better than many teams in this league. They are considerably better than the Islanders. Yeah. I think we saw them Wednesday. We saw them tonight. Yeah. We can draw that conclusion at least. Yeah, and, and we didn't go into the year thinking for sure they would be better than the Islanders. You know, I think we thought they were going to be in that same realm as the Columbus Blue Jackets. They're very clearly better than the Columbus, Columbus Blue Jackets. We saw that on Who Sunday. <laughs> but the Islanders were a team that went into the year thinking they could be, and they still probably do think they can be, a bubble playoff team. They made the playoffs last year. They think they can do it again. Over these two games, both road games, not even they went onto the island and outplayed them in two consecutive games. Obviously, they got the loss on Wednesday, but I'd say on the whole, the Flyers got the better of play in that game, and then tonight I thought they got the better of play significantly. And we saw a familiar pattern. They didn't come out all that strong. Shots sure. were at 1.60. They, yeah. they then took two away from the Islanders, but for the first five or so minutes, this game was, ah, all right, we thought we had him Wednesday, and now this looks. But as soon as, uh, like, that seven or eight minute mark hit, yeah. the Flyers took over, and they really never relinquished. At no point, listen, Sam Harrison played a great game, and I want to talk to him, uh, talk about him in a minute, but he wasn't tested a ton. True. They did have some great chances. He made some huge saves. Especially in overtime. Throughout regulation, especially in overtime yeah. in the shootout. But this Flyers team, as bad as we thought, 
what the actual, you know, six to eight defensemen were going to be. They are excellent defensively. Yeah. They gave up 20 shots on goal. 20 t- in 65 minutes, they basically gave up like a shot every three minutes yeah. in this game. They're doing a ton of work defensively to keep their goalies clean. And you saw the benefit tonight. I thought it was a real bounce back game. Team defense, not just the defense core, but team defense. Because going back to uh, the Black Friday game against the Rangers, the, the thing that stuck out to me in that game was just how many odd man rushes they gave up. I tracked them at seven through two periods, which is more than they usually give up over the course of a week. Like they've been real good this year at avoiding odd man rushes. And against the Rangers, they fell back into bad habits. They were the, the, the pinches were maybe a little bit too aggressive. But the thing that John Tortorella was most angry about was the forwards weren't tracking back. They weren't back checking hard enough to take the pressure off the defenseman and basically make it worth the defenseman's while to pinch. Tonight, I didn't think they, they avoided pinching. I didn't think they played a conservative game, which Tortorella does not want them to play. It's just that this time, when the defenseman pinched, when Travis Sandheim took risks, when Cam York took risks, when Sean Walker took risks, the forwards were back, and the forwards protected them, and that's how you ended up through a game. I mean, I, I'm sure they gave up a couple of man rushes, but I can't remember any off the top of my head any major ones aside from overtime, which like that whole overtime session is basically an odd it's man an rush. It's an odd man rush. Yeah. That's what you play for. But in 60 minutes, I didn't think they gave up that many. And yeah, Erson made a few big saves. You know, he made a couple really good saves. I thought with a glove, I thought he was really feeling it with the glove tonight. But on the whole, the Flyers made his job, I wouldn't say easy, but manageable. They made his job manageable. And that's a credit to the team defense. They played the way you're supposed to play in front of a backup goal. Yes. You yes. need to have that concerted effort to listen, it's not our starter. We all might think Sam Harrison has this high ceiling and maybe he's going to be this team's starter one day. Who the hell knows? But when the backup is in, you shouldn't give up 30 shots. Yeah, agreed. Like, that's a recipe to lose. And tonight they played this way. I will say, team defense definitely a bounce back, but they're whether it's just level of the team, but if you're just looking individually, team speed, yeah, you're going to give up more odd man rushes to the Rangers than you do the Islanders. The Islanders are a slow team. If they get an odd man rush, they might be like, let's hold up. Let's just wait for everyone. It's basically just Barzell (laughs) and and, and Nelson can skate. But beyond those two, it's a lot of plotters. Uh, But I do now want to talk about the goaltender, Sam Erson, because he was in, when he was tested, excellent tonight. the shootout, overtime, all throughout, when the, he did have chances against, he came up huge. I have been of the belief all season that I mean, we know at least a baseline of what we have in Carter Hart, yeah. but in terms of future going forward, there's always the black cloud looming, but just his contract ends after this season. Right. We Do you want to give him eight years? I don't know. Just If this rebuild is going to go on four more, what's the point right. of that? Like, If you can get a ton for him, there is uncertainty in terms of who is going to be the Flyers goaltender when this team is competing to go on playoff runs again. I think it would behoove them to give Erson more time in net, not to treat Carter Hart like, oh, well, he's got to be the number one. He's got to play 60-plus games. I don't see it that way for a number of reasons. One, why? Like, why? Uh, if you only have so many bolts, like, why waste? Uh, maybe he, maybe Hart does become a 65-game starter. Why now? Right. What is the point of that? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, let's. it's like using a running back. Like, oh, yeah. 
yeah, we're going to win two games this year. Let's use this rookie running yeah. back 150 yeah, times. Yeah, let's like, give him 400 like, carries what, on a bad yeah, team. Like, what yeah. is the point of this? Like, I'm looking at Samuel Erson, and as, as he's played more, he has played better. Yes. Why not play him more? <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm really happy for him, honestly. Like, he's, he's a good kid. He obviously got off to an awful start this year. I think in large part that was because he's still trying to get a handle on being a backup. And the fact that as a backup, you don't play every night. At the start of the year, he didn't play for like three weeks, came in, was terrible. And it, it honestly, and maybe it shouldn't anger me as much as it does, but it annoyed me how many people on social media after like two bad Sam Harrison games were ready to be like, this guy's trash. He's not an NHL goalie. Get rid of him. I know with when it comes to evaluating goalies, there's a lot of reasons he buys, but I'm really happy that he's showing that he's a good, young, talented goalie. And you raise an interesting point about the idea of why not play him more. I think in the beginning of the year, it was kind of a chicken and egg thing where you want to play him more, but he's got to earn the playing time. But in order to earn the playing time, you got to play him more. He's supposed to be great in practice. Exactly. Like, shoot on him in practice. Yeah. He better be great. First so, of so all. it's a tough thing. Yeah. Now it's interesting because now you're in a situation where he just had a 65 minute shutout and then shut out the team in the shootout too. Like this is as high difficulty of a, of a shutout victory as you're going to get. He's earned more games. And I think it helps him to play more games because I think he's still getting the hang of playing once every two weeks. I think you want to play him more. And I think after this game, he's earned more starts. Now, in no way, shape, or form am I saying that Carter Hart should turn into the backup. No, Carter Hart no. should still get more starts. But Sam Harrison is a goalie that the organization is very high on. And now he's a goalie that fans are going to be more high on because he's actually playing we well when they watch do it. it. Yeah. Uh, and that's, like, first of all, I love the, well, you got to get rid of, who do they have that is an NHL goalie? Yeah. Like, it's not Cal Peterson because have you seen him play? Exactly. And it's not Felix Sandstrom because we have seen him play. Yeah. Like, who was it going to be? But do you foresee, I think it should be more of a, if not 50-50, a 1A, 1B, 55, 45 sort of split. Do you foresee that actually happening, or is that a fan's pipe dream? I think it's more of a fan's pipe dream because I do believe that Tortorella views Hart as his guy. He trusts Carter Hart. And look, Carter Hart's had a pretty darn good year so he's far. He's been very year. good. He's been good. So it's not like he's it's not like he's relinquished any of his usual workload by his quality of play. He's been good. It's just that now Airson is starting to also play really well. And this this was the, the exclamation point game where now you can all point to it and say, see, he's a really good goalie. Maybe he should get more starts. To me, it's maybe like a, you got to get him in one game a week. Like, that's the bare minimum. He deserves at least one game a week. If you play four games, maybe he only plays one of those games. If you play two games, he still only he still gets one of those games. Like, don't have him sit for a long time because he's showing that if you play him fairly regularly, he's a pretty darn good NHL goalie. Yeah, I just, I want to see more of him because we talk so much about the skaters and finding out what you have and like it's so much a part of the, the Morgan Frost discourse right. like well how do you find out what he is like and we, we talked about it with Igor Zamula like not playing well but if there was ever a time now's the time to get him in yeah 
Sam Harrison find out like is is his ceiling decent backup? Can he be a tandem guy on a good team? Will he ever be a one A? Yeah. Let's find out what his ceiling really is. This is the perfect year for it. Now, does that maybe does that go along with maybe what Carter Hart wants to see happen? Like how much do you think how much do you think it's like, well, contract year for Carter, and not that he's calling the shots, but it's like we want to keep who we believe our franchise goalie happy. Like, how much do you think that weighs into their decision-making? Yeah, I think it absolutely does. I, I think there's an element where, you know, you know you're coming up on a contract negotiation, and you maybe still think at this point that Carter Hart is the future. Because, look, the Flyers, while I still am not sold on them as a playoff team this year, they are very clearly better than we anticipated, which means that it might not take as long for them to be a playoff team, and they might look at it as, hey, we have at least a good starting 25-year-old goalie. If it's only going to take us two years, two more years to be a playoff team, rather than five or six, which we thought might be the case going into the season, if the rebuild was going to take forever, suddenly, maybe you don't want to lose Carter. It's the same thing of, like, not wanting to trade Travis Konechny, because yeah. you think that it might make sense to re-sign Travis Konechny if this team is only two years away rather than five years away. So I do think there's probably an element of you want to keep him happy. You don't want him to him to start thinking he wants to go elsewhere because you're you're more marginalizing him in favor of Sam Harrison because if you do that, you are kind of sending the message to Carter Hart that you are thinking about life past Carter Hart. So I think that's part of it, but I think a lot of it is honestly that John Tortorella just trusts Carter Hart. He trusts him as a goalie. He wants to use him a lot. I'm trying to think of Tortorella's previous stops and like Tampa, alright, yeah, you, you had Hobby Bowling. Like I figure the Rangers, obviously, Lundquist, um, Columbus, obviously, Bobrovsky. Like those are like established number one dudes, so it makes sense to kind of just ride one guy. Yes. Do you think his like if he's building a team, it's we have a clear oh, we have our number one dude and then a backup who just kind of plays when the number one can't? Like, do you think that's part of his team-building philosophy, that you have a, a, an obvious one and two? It's an interesting question because, look, I think most coaches, not all because there are a few that are looking at it differently, most coaches just feel more comfortable with a clear-cut number one. Like, Boston Bruins are a team that's kind of changing the script where they have two, and, like, they've asked Montgomery, would you, like, still, are you still willing to be a tandem in the playoffs? And he's like, absolutely, that's the way we play. We have two great goalies, we want to use them. Had he gone with that, they may not have flamed out in the first it, round, it's but... A, it's a fair point. Yeah. But <laughs> my point is is that I think Tortorella, if you put a gun to his head, would say he would rather have a clear one. Now, if you ask the Flyers' front office, they might have a different opinion, because they might say, you know what? Why not have two really good goalies, and why not have one play 55 games and one play 35 games and then be able to trade off if possible or maybe maybe do 45 35 like make, make it even closer I guess the draw like in my mind the drawback is even if you go tandem regular season as close to 50 50 as you can go 
teams still want every coach basically wants we have one guy in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. We go with one guy. Not at, not every coach, but the vast majority. Every coach I have ever <laughs> seen. Like, yeah, I'm sure it's possible that they exist. I have never seen them, though. Fair. And, I mean, the Flyers have never had one, let alone two. So it's not like in this town we can be like, well, remember that. That's a good it's like, point. Yeah, they went with, like, nine goalies in 2011. Yeah. And it was because they all sucked. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then, then in the, the 2010 run, they were bouncing cool. between Leighton and Boosh because yeah, the other like, guy kept getting hurt. One kept getting hurt, and then the other would have to come back, yeah. and then the other would get hurt, and that's just the way it would go. Exactly. Uh, speaking of guys returning from injuries, excellent segue, Bill. Love um, that. Rasmus Ristolainen, he made his return tonight, and we both kind of said, listen, we watched Mark Stahl come back, first, you know, start the season, and then come back from injury. It was a little rough. I can't imagine guy who missed first 20 games is going to look sharp in his start, but uh, wasn't horrible. I thought he looked fine. I, I thought Risto, honestly, I was expecting dumpster fire disaster Risto, and that isn't because I think poorly of Risto anymore. If, if the last year's version of Risto is the Risto we he's get, fine. he's a perfectly fine number four, number five defenseman. That works. But I was expecting, given the fact this was his first game, given the fact that it's against a, a pretty heavy four-checking team in the aisles, I was expecting him to struggle. He pretty much looked fine. Like, I don't think he was dominant. I don't think he was exceptional. But for Where your... does he ever those things? Fair. <laughs> but my point is, for the first game back, yeah. after missing, yeah. what, a month and a half, I thought he looked like normal Ristolainen, which is a good sign. I just, uh, they're replaying the, the shootout <laughs> right next to me, and I keep peeking up, and like, as it, I mean, from about the second period on, I'm just thinking, all right, 0-0 zero, zero shootout, here we go, but we actually got it. Uh, it's something that comes up now and then, because I am one of the few remaining shootout fans. I'm not saying this is the ideal way to end the game. Right. That was dramatic. No, it was fun. We we had we had our, our crowd here for the uh, for the watch party. We're all outside watching it, and, and it was it was getting pretty intense. We were enjoying it. It was a no, fun time. It, it was a good time. In this game, despite it being the uh, despite it being the Islanders, it was a fairly entertaining game. Mostly because the Flyers just absolutely dominated. Is this? When you see them play this way, do you just think to yourself, there is something else there to this team? Or is it, yeah, man, the Islanders never have the puck. Like, that's just kind of their game. They are, we're going to punt, and yeah. you're going to have to go the length of the ice. Yeah. And that's uh, basically that's basically every possession. Like, is that, do you think this team's better? Like, I know we've already had the conversation. Oh, well, this team is way better than we thought. Better than we thought is not dumpster fire. Yes, exactly. How likely do you believe the playoffs to be? I still do not think they're likely, but I do think they are a possibility, which is way much, way higher than I would have given it back in September, even back in early October. Look, 
I think the, the Islanders have a chance of making the playoffs, even though they're Look off to a good start. Look what they do in every game. Yeah. They and, make every game a coin flip, and it might come up heads more than you expect. But my point is, is that if, if I believe, and I do, if I believe that the Islanders have a chance of making the playoffs, I have to then also believe the Flyers have a chance of making the playoffs, because I believe the Flyers are better than the Islanders. I mean, it's pretty clear after the last two games <laughs> we watched them play. It's, they have struggled with the Islanders in the past. It's not as if they just went into Long Island and blew them out. They lost on Wednesday, and they needed 65 plus four shootout shooters to go in and actually get a victory for the first time in two years on Long Island. But yeah, I think there might be a little something extra to this team. I do want to see what they do when teams kind of ramp it up after Christmas. After the roster freeze and all that, and then maybe like there's just levels to the season. Like post-All-Star break is another. Like after Christmas, then you go there. I do want to see if, like if this is the Flyers right now and every other team is kind of like, yeah, but then I want to see how that plays out. Does that make sense? It does. And, and you know, you mentioned a little something extra. You mentioned the looming Christmas holiday. So what I want to say is if you are looking for a little something extra for Christmas, maybe check out the PHLY Locker, our Black Friday Cyber Weekend is sales. Charlie doing a read? I just might be doing a read. I just might be trying out a read. Check that out. We have a, a lot of new Eagles merch in particular. Obviously the Eagles, I think the vast majority of Flyers fans are also diehard Eagles fans. I would got, got a lot of really good Eagles merch. Brand new. Check that out. Again, it's phlylocker.com, 25% off. And if you spend $75 on merch, on shirts, on everything we've got, you get a $15 gift card in addition to spend even more money on our stuff. I, uh, it's, it's absolutely genius. Like, you get the 15 after. <laughs> I think that's very smart. You got to come back now. It's like Dave and Buster's. Your money's already tied up. You exactly. got to come back. Exactly. Uh, I do love the... Uh, Fletcher Cox wearing the Philly that Bias good. shirt. That's good. And it's a picture of him. I want to get a shirt made that's me wearing that shirt <laughs> with a picture of me and then wear it. I think that will be inception level PHLY stuff. I, I love it. I love uh, it. Maybe I can get someone to make that for me. Yeah. Uh, thinking about a couple of uh, lineup changes we saw tonight. Uh, Morgan Frost back in. Yeah, and he, he actually, he's the third shooter in the shootout. Uh, I, I wasn't especially impressed with Frost tonight, but I, I guess I can't say I was especially impressed with many. Did you have any uh, Did you have any impressions of Morgan and his, his long-awaited return to the lineup once again? Yeah, I thought he was fine. I, I didn't think he did anything awful. I didn't think he had a bad game. However, it's abundantly clear that he needs to be more than fine to stay in the lineup because as we saw, he scores a bunch of points that has one game where he doesn't end up in the score sheet and is immediately scratched. So, while I believe that he didn't do anything wrong, it's clear that under this coach, he needs to be more than just okay to keep the spot. I don't think he was more than just okay. It's funny, I would have loved it. Not loved it because I, I feel bad for the kid, but if he would have scored the shootout game winner and then immediately got scratched the next game. No, it was he was in 
in a position where, like, he's third, and all right, you're in position to win it. You have lock off on your stick. Yeah. I feel like this was. If you win it, you get to play next game. <laughs> oh God. If you don't, yeah, yeah you don't. Man, you don't. If they don't, they don't. Uh, like, I, I very much got that impression. This is, and, I, and I've said this basically every time we've talked about Morgan Frost for the last two weeks. This is not going to end until he's traded, right? Like, the Morgan Frost thing. The saga. Whatever it is. Yeah, like, this saga, whatever it is that the coach doesn't like about him, whatever it is that keeps him from being a regular in this lineup, it doesn't end until he's playing for, like, Toronto or something, right? Yeah, it's just, it would have to take him going on a ridiculous offensive scoring heater for him to... It would either take that or a bunch of guys getting hurt where, like, they have no choice but to play him every night. Because, look, Bobby Brink was the guy who gave way for Frost tonight. They've already made it clear by bringing Bobby Brink back in. After a win. In the midst of a winning streak when they just took down the defending Stanley Cup champions. And not by accident. They played great. Yeah, they played great in that game. <laughs> They've made it abundantly clear that, like, Bobby Brink is going to play. He's important, and he's going to play, and we're going to find ways to get him in. And it's clear that... They don't view Morgan Frost anywhere near of the same level of importance. So, to me, like, yeah, Brink came out tonight. I don't think Brink is sitting more than one more game. He's coming back in. I'd be surprised. And it's very clear to me that when when John Tortorella has has to make a lineup decision, his first instinct is scratch Morgan Frost. It's That's the, his, his initial solution to every lineup problem. Scratch Morgan Frost. It is the go-to move. Like, yeah. that is the first move. Okay, let me look at, well, obviously, Frost is out, and okay, we're set. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and we're good. Solved. Carter, are you good? Ah, Carter's good, so he's the goalie, <laughs> and I have made all the decisions we need I, to make. I do feel, it's funny, because, like, I don't, I am still not sold on Morgan Frost no, as part of the future, but I feel really bad for him, because I don't think he's done anything wrong here. He just uh, happened to not be a favorite of the coach, who is John Tortorella, and, and he's I, crazy. Like, I have made a point over the last week or so to just be like... Listen, it don't matter if he's good or not. It's not happening here, so it doesn't matter. Like, nothing matters. Right. But I do feel bad. While my top priority is I want to see the Flyers be great again. I do feel bad about not only is it not going to happen here for him, he has very little opportunity to prove himself to exactly. the team that signs him to the next contract. Exactly. And, and you know what? You never know. Like, I look at somebody as, like, the best case scenario, assuming that it doesn't work in Philly, which it doesn't look like it's going to. I mean, the best case scenario for him would be something like Anthony Duclair, where, like, you know, he's he's a guy where a couple coaches don't like him. They think he doesn't play the kind of two-way game. And then what happens? He ends up in Florida and suddenly is a 60-point guy. I could see that happening to Morgan Frost in the right situation. End up on a team where it's like, yeah, none of us defend. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) It's all good. We have Barkov, and that's it. (laughs) Black does some defense. Uh, they have defensemen, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Charlie, what else really stuck out to you in this one? Like, I'm just thinking the overall, the bounce back of the team defense yeah. after the Rangers that was game. But really, this has been, this has been the story of their season. They have been excellent. I'm not pointing to, like, oh, well, the blue line is so much better than we thought. It's fine. But the team commitment to defense and the 
ability to actually execute what the coach wants from them this year as opposed to last year. That stark leap that more so than any individual outside of Sanheim who's just been a revelation. Right. Like The team seems to have taken a much bigger leap than any one individual. That is what has stuck out to me throughout this and that we saw it again on display tonight. I mean, they play a 65. Did they give up 25 shots tonight? I don't think they did. Something like, like that, yeah. I think it was like 22. Uh, what stuck out to you in this one Like that absolutely needs highlighting? Well, I thought one interesting sort of subplot, minor story that could be a bigger story down the road, was the fact that while they shook up the lineup to get Morgan Frost back in, they moved Noah Cates over to wing. And I thought Noah Cates, well, look, nobody scored aside from uh, aside from Tyson Forrester in the shootout. No, no one, one had scored. a goal. Yeah. No one had a goal. I thought Noah Cates looked good on the wing. I thought his forechecking was more apparent being on the wing versus being at center. I thought that whole line, him and Farabee and Paling, like, Paling is, is a limited guy. There were a lot of times where he'd skate really fast, get the puck into the zone, and then have no idea what to do with it after. We but, had some fun watching Paley yeah, tonight. But I thought that line created a lot. I thought they had a lot of offensive zone time, and I thought both Cates and Farabee looked good. So, maybe this is... Look, Noah Cates has been disappointing so far this year, <laughs> particularly offensively. Maybe giving him a chance on the wing, which is where he originally entered that's the his NHL. Natural position. His natural position. Maybe that's a way to get the offense going with him. Maybe. Maybe. We have talked about the potential log jam. I mean, it's funny to talk about a log jam at center for a team that has, like, no centers. Right. But we have talked about that issue popping up once Cutter Gauthier gets here, which we hope is in the spring. Uh, this, you know, this season, we're hoping he comes after his college season ends. Right. Is this uh, maybe, not to bring it back to Morgan Frost, mm -hmm. An opening for him now, at least until Gauthier gets here. Like, is Kate's, do you think, maybe just going to be a tweener? Like, depending on the lineup, he's going to go back and forth? Or do you see maybe, all right, the center thing, it ain't working. He's going to be on the wing, and maybe that pushes someone else out of the lineup rather than Morgan Frost? <laughs> It's hard for me to – I don't think it's going to have much of an impact on Morgan Frost because okay. I, think, I think Morgan Frost's situation is Morgan Frost. It's basically just that John Torrell isn't sold on him. Now, if Noah Cates is a winger, that does leave you – you know, it, it, it leaves you with less options down the middle. Maybe that makes Scott Lawton a full-time center. Maybe that's the answer there. Clearly, they're giving Ryan Paling a long look. Ryan Paling, to me, is a fourth-line center, and that's all he will ever be. But they want to see if he can be more. They're giving him a long look further up the lineup. Noah Cates, to me, I think he can be a good set. I've, I, what I saw last year, I believe he can be a good bottom six center. But I think he can be a better offensive player on the wing. I think he can be a more overall impactful player on the wing. So it was exciting to me to see hmm. them give him a shot there, and I'm curious to see if it lasts. More impactful overall on the wing. I guess if he gives you that solid two-way play still, even if he's not a center, but scores considerably more because yeah. he's on a line, yeah. you would think, with more talent, maybe a center that can get him the puck. Uh, I can see that. I can see that playing out that way. Uh, back to the blue line. I... Uh, 
to think Zamula ain't going to be a part of this thing. Really? Like, he, he sat out against he tonight. Sits out tonight, yeah. and I, I liked him since they brought him in. I thought his first preseason. That was, oh, he stands out. He's had a little bit of trouble standing out lately, and now they notch a win without him in the lineup. Ristolainen's back. Stall. Okay, shaking off some of the rust. I think it might be hard for him to get back in the lineup. How committed do you think they are to like making sure he gets his time? Well, I guess we'll see. Like Now we're going to see, because now you've got Stahl and Ristolainen back. What I will say is that they had opportunities to scratch him over this most recent stretch. You know, Louis Belpedio was in the lineup. Like, they could have found a way to get Zamula out of the lineup, and they kept throwing him out there, even after some real bad games. Like, that game where he got benched for the entire third period against Carolina, yeah. I thought for sure he was not playing the next game. They threw him right back out there. So the, the circumstantial evidence so far does imply they want to give him a look. The problem now, though, as you mentioned, is that now there's just more of a logjam. Risto's, Risto's back. You presumably think Risto is a nightly guy. So that pretty much just leaves Sealer, who is in your top four and doing pretty well in your top four with Sean Walker, who I thought had another really good game tonight. And then you have Mark Stahl. And the question then becomes, how often are you willing to scratch Mark Stahl to get Igor Zamol in? Now, John Tortorella echoed last week that Mark Stahl ain't going to play every game. So he's continuing to, to say that Mark Stahl ain't going to play every game. Mark Stahl was healthy last weekend. He didn't get into either of the games. So maybe Mark Stahl will be a rotational guy. But again, it's one of those, like, we'll believe it when we see it types of things, given the fact that Mark Stahl is that classic veteran presence type guy. And honestly, with Risto tonight, I thought he was fine. He had a couple good plays. Like, he wasn't bad. He didn't play so bad that that he earned a benching for Igor Zamola. It wouldn't shock me at all if next game, him and Risto are right back out there on the third bear again, and Zamola's taking another seat. We are right around the quarter point of the season. I don't want to say quarter pole, because we learned tonight we did. that the quarter pole actually means three, three quarters. quarters have yeah. gone by, and there's only a quarter left. Wasn't aware of that. But it was yeah. a little horse racing. Did, yeah, uh, did not know horse racing tidbit. I don't know if I knew that that was a horse reference until tonight. Okay. Uh, you learned a lot then. Yeah, I did. <laughs> we, uh, we are at about the quarter point of the season, though. Who? The team is considerably better than we thought they would be two months ago. Who would you label as this team's MVP to this point? That's a really good question. I... That's a really good question. I mean, there's a couple obvious options. Like, Travis Sanheim is an obvious option just because of the leap and how he's exceeded expectations. He plays half the game, and they yeah. win a lot more than I thought they you would. You could make a case. The one thing I'll say about Sanheim that maybe gives me a little bit of pause is that despite the fact that he's very much past the eye test and the analytics are fantastic, he has been outscored at 5-on-5 five five when he's been on the ice. Now, I don't pin a lot of that on him. If anything, I pin it probably more on Cam York. But this is a team that has significantly outscored the opposition, and Travis Sanheim has gotten outscored at 5-on-5 five five when he's on the ice. So that gives me a little bit of pause to call him the MVP. So how can you be the MVP when your team is losing the goal battle when you're out there? I would probably lean towards Konechny, because I think he's been consistently stellar, and he's been such a goal-scoring threat. He's been their most consistent offensive weapon. But 
you could argue Sandheim, you could argue Couturier, just because of the importance of, of all three situations, the minutes that's being down the taking, middle, yeah. Yeah, and, and the fact that he pushes everybody else down yeah. the line and makes everybody else's job a little bit easier. So I think you could argue Couturier. I think I would go Konechny, but I think there you could even argue Hart, even though he missed the time, because when he's been in, he's been good. There are options. I personally would go Konechny, but I don't think it's a slam dunk. That's, I think it's a good race between the Travi. The Travi. Uh, we love the Travi. We do. It's so much fun to say. Um, <laughs> I would go Sanheim, but I'm glad you brought up Konechny. Uh, last game, the Rangers game on Black Friday. Yeah, yesterday. Jeez. Wow. That was, it feels like it was three days ago. Yeah. Um, those one o'clock puck drops. They, they just mess with they our They barely exist to me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you tweeted during that game, you thought he was fighting it a little bit. He was just, I wouldn't say struggling. Like, his level of play was not struggling, but his execution yeah, was. I would agree with that. Uh, how do you think he bounced back tonight? I thought he was fine. I didn't think he was his best. I thought, honestly, I thought most of the Flyers players were at least fine. There were very few, like even Ryan Paling, who I thought, like, had moments where it was very clear that he just had no idea what to do. Like, he did the hard part of getting the puck in the zone and then had no idea what to do next. I still thought he was fine. Yeah. I didn't think... He still outskated a bunch yeah, of guys. He still did a lot of stuff, <laughs> yeah. and that was cool. It's just that you were reminded why they need a better center in the top in the top nine than Ryan Paling, who to me is a 4C. But I thought pretty much everybody on the team was fine, at least. Some guys were better than fine, but there wasn't... Really wasn't anybody that I watched that I thought was bad, but the Flyers just generally as a team outplay the Islanders, and it's, it's nice that they got rewarded because I thought for sure once that went into a shootout that there was no way they were beating Sorokin because, yet again, he was fantastic. I, I guess that's where we have to take it to the ending here. Um, I mentioned Morgan Frost gets to go third. We did see before that Couturier get a chance at the shootout, and he did not take my advice of altering the move. Uh, he still went in. Same exact he, move. he tried the backhand, and then he tried to spin around and get to the forehand. I believe trying to tuck it back might be the move uh, to build off of this. But then That's the wrinkle you got to add. It's the wrinkle that you need yeah. just to keep him guessing a little bit. But then we see, after the top three go, the man with one goal gets an opportunity, and now his goal total, while it remains on one, does get credited with a game winner. I believe that's how the statistics work. It's two goals in our hearts, Bill. <laughs> two goals in our hearts. It's, the statistic works. You don't get credited for a goal, but you do get credited with a game winner, that's a look which is that. very fun. That is fun. Um, do you think this could be a catalyst to more? Because I, I thought this after the first goal, like, okay, and now the floodgates open because he'd been creating so much. It just felt like he needed one. Uh, we did not see that, at least immediately. Now he gets the shootout goal. It's a winner. It's against the best goalie in hockey. Do you think now we start to see the version of Tyson Forster we thought we were going to get when we were talking about him making this team in camp? Um, maybe. Maybe. I mean, I, I think that he's been playing fine. It's just he hasn't been scoring. And, hey, if this is what gets him, like, back going and back feeling confident in his shot, just makes him feel essentially like he's he's the guy who the Flyers thought they were drafting. Because I think the Flyers always view Tyson Forrester as someone who was underrated in terms of the other things in his game. Like, he wasn't just a shooter. But the hard truth is that without that shot, he's not a first.
first round pick. No. Like, yeah. he's just not. He's not a guy you're taking in round one. He's maybe a guy you're taking in round four, especially given the fact that he wasn't a good skater. He's still not a great skater, but he was a legitimately bad skater when they drafted him. So if this allows him to just feel a little bit better about himself and maybe let a few more rip on the power play and trust that he's going to hit the net rather than just shoot it 10 feet wide, that would be great because I think there's more there. I think the Flyers believe there's more there. It's just a matter of him actually finishing on these chances. There were a couple during the game where he was definitely looking skyward, like, am I ever going to freaking score? Now, granted, a lot of that is because you're against Sorokin, who's one of the best goalies we in the world. We were all doing that tonight. Exactly. I mean, it wasn't just Forrester, but I think if, look, this can't hurt. I don't know if it'll help, but it certainly can't hurt that he's got a game-winner to his credit, even if it came in a shootout. What'd you make of that decision? What, to play, to play to, him, to use him? I don't know if it's still this way, but I know when the shootout started, you had to name your three before the game, and then I it was like still the rule. And yeah. then from there, it was choose whoever. Yeah, you just like grab somebody. Uh, hey, like, you, you good? Like I remember, it was Stevens. It was John Stevens who was like uh, in Drew's emergency call up. It's like, well, we're in Ottawa. I put him on the list. I figured, why not? And he didn't score, but it was like you gave him the shot. And yeah, you had to pick it pre-game. Right. Like nobody has beaten this goalie basically in two days. You just got shut out by him for 65 minutes. He just dominated you. He just dominated you on Wednesday. John Tortorella really believes in this he guy. Really that's does. what that that's what yeah. that shows me. Like we could have taken anyone, someone who's had more success recently. Uh, nah. Chance to win the game. Puck on a stick. We like Tyson Forster, even though he has one goal. That's a really good point. And I think you're right. I think it does show just how much faith John Tortorella has in Tyson Forrester, just how much he likes Tyson Forrester. And look, it can't hurt because we're seeing what happens when John Tortorella doesn't like a guy. He gets in <laughs> half the games, even though he led the team in scoring for the final two-thirds of the previous season. So it's certainly a good thing that John Tortorella likes Tyson Forrester because I believe in Tyson Forrester. I think Tyson Forrester can be not a star, but I think he could be a solid contributor for the Flyers in the future. He's certainly young enough to fit the timeline, so I'm happy that Tyson Forrester doesn't have to face an uphill battle with the coach who's a key part of deciding who's going to be part of this. That makes me happy because I want them to find a way to make it work with Tyson Forrester, and clearly John Tortorella is on board with that goal. That's... I'm not even saying it's wrong because you brought in a guy to do a job. John Tortorella, at least a large portion of his job, is tell us who has it and who doesn't. Yeah. It is funny, though, that like one of the prerequisites is, does the coach just like this dude? Yeah, like, and it is yeah. nice that, like, okay, he doesn't have that uphill battle. At least he doesn't have, you know, playing in the NHL, I'm told, kind of difficult. Yeah, it's, it's hard easy. to do. Not the easiest thing but in the world. At least he doesn't have this other thing, like, like Morgan Frost does. And I'm, like, looking up, there's at New Wave Cafe right now. And thank you very much to everyone. Everyone here yeah, at New thank Wave. You so much, everyone. Uh, the atmosphere, tremendous. Thanks to everyone who showed out, everyone who's watching us live still. But they have all these like uh, old Philly Sports Illustrated yeah. on the walls and everything. And I just looked up and I saw the flying high, and I realized now it's Jeff Garcia. <laughs> but I looked up and I was like, when was Sam Bradford so good <laughs> that he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated? Oh my God. And that made my mind jog when you mentioned the Morgan Frost, the 55 game. Is that going to be a 
joke the way like Sam Bradford 10 of 10 in the preseason Ooh. like is that where this is ultimately going to end up with Morgan Frost I mean it might it really might god this whole Morgan Frost thing like I, I, I don't I, want to talk about I it am, anymore I am literally I am at the point where like I am just so tired of it like I just want them to trade him yes. just because I want I want him to get a shot somewhere and I just more and more think it's never going to happen here oh <laughs> I know for a fact it's not going to happen here uh, I just I just think about like those 55 games and we're going to reference them forever it's like we saw something but guess no, you guess, guess you did it. didn't the, the only guy whose opinion matters in this entire organization oh jeez uh, I, I just I, I, I don't know how much more we even have on this game specifically but looking at the whole of what they've done what was this 20 or 21 tonight that they've played 21 I believe this was game 21, game 21. so we are over the 25% mark of the season right who still needs to really step up to show that they deserve the look for the last three quarters of the season like who is in the lineup but you're like eh I don't know if there's really earned their ice time to this point that's an interesting question I I mean like I don't I think Noah Cates needs to show more but I think he's shown enough like I don't want him scratched I just want more from him I want to see more hopefully tonight was the start of something where he looks more effective in the offensive zone I hope beyond him look I know the Flyers really like what they've seen I think Ryan Paling like if he's going to stay in the top nine he better start doing some stuff with the puck that isn't getting a primary assist on a shot from behind the other net 90 foot goal yeah like like yeah. let's not let's not get overboard here I think he's a fourth line center and if he's going to prove that he's not a fourth line center I want to see him do more things with the puck to show me that beyond those two though like you go through the lineup I, I would like to see maybe a little bit more from Cam York but again I don't think he should be scratched I just think that hey no, he has to play. maybe you're thinking maybe don't give him 20 minutes a night if he doesn't show a little bit more over the next few weeks maybe but no I think look I think one of the reasons why the Flyers are exceeding expectations is because there's very few guys on the team that are not exceeding expectations. There's very few few guys that are, are being dragged along. I think this is a team where there aren't many passengers right now. If just building off of the Cam York idea, because this just made me wonder, this conversation we might have had a week or two ago, say they were to bump Cam York down, not play him 20-plus minutes a night, what becomes of the Sanheim ex-parent? Like, who else, who do they play with him? Do we ultimately see him move back to the left? Because the obvious answer is Sean Walker. Right. Could they go, potentially, with what I want to see, having a righty on the left yes. and a lefty on the right, yes. make a power play D-pair out do of Walker it. and Sanheim? How does that play out if Cam York ultimately gets bumped down a bit? It's an interesting question. I, I, you know, I would say I don't think they have interest right now in moving Sanheim off the right. I think they like him Nor there. Nor do I. So then it gets tougher because if you're not going to play Cam York, like, look, 
Mark Stahl is not a top pair defenseman. Nick Sealer is not a top pair defenseman. The closest thing you have to a top pair defenseman, aside from Travis Sanheim and maybe Cam York, because at least he can take the minutes, sort of, is Sean Walker. But to do that, you'd have to either play him on his offside, in addition to having Sanheim on his offside, or move Sanheim over to the left. Maybe they'll try both. Maybe they'll experiment a little bit. You never know. Maybe it... We have talked in the past, like, just trying to nail down John Tortorella. Um, we're at 50 minutes, Bill. We're at 50 minutes. Yep, so we're, I, we're getting close to the end. I know we don't have ad reads. That was your last message yes. to me. Uh, there were only four days on the traffic log this week, so I took that as when we're live at New Wave, I'm not doing any. Okay, cool. And, uh, so we're at 50 minutes, so I don't have to vamp for too much longer. Love it. That's outstanding. <laughs> I totally forget what I was going to say, though. Um, what were we talking about? Someone well, with Sean Walker? Yeah, we're talking about the pairings, lefty-righty. Yes. What, what, what they do if they bump Cam York down the lineup in the future. Yeah. But again, like I don't think Cam York's been bad. No, I don't. I just would like to see a little bit more from him. I would I also like to see him on the power play, which is low-key, like, as angry as people are getting about the Morgan Frost thing, it is inexplicable to me why they are not using Cam York on the power Sean play. Sean Walker, very good thus far. Yeah, he's been real good. He is not good on the power play. He's not a good power this play guy. This is not a thing that's really in his repertoire. It's really but, not. Like, I don't... I don't foresee, as much as I think a, a Walker-Sanheim pairing would be fun, like, these are your two best defensemen. I don't, I don't know what you have if those two are together for the other half of the game. That's really like, your true. other two pairs, I really don't know what they are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I'd be very interested in seeing more, like, less Cam York at 5-on-5, five five, more Cam York on the power play. Like, we've talked maybe his power play numbers with the uh, U.S. development team a little inflated because he was with uh, basically the entire NHL All-Star team <laughs> at that time. Yeah, like Trevor Seegers, Cole Caulfield, yeah, like, every, like everybody. Yeah. Team yeah. USA at the next Olympics. Yeah. Uh, but, like, what What do they have to lose? at Because the, the power play is uh, fucking horrendous. It's real bad. <laughs> yeah, I think my view, my view of Cam York on the power play is similar to my view of Morgan Frost, where I am skeptical that Cam York will ever be a great power play quarterback, great power play option. But why not find out? But neither is anyone else yeah, on this like, team. Like, why not find out? Like, give him the year to try to learn. And if he can't learn, if it turns out he just can't do it, and it looks like he's another Proveroff where he's just not good on the power play, at least then you know and you can go into this draft saying to yourself, okay, in addition to getting a number one defenseman, maybe in the second round, we gotta be looking for a Shane Goss' bear type who can be our third pair defenseman who runs the power play. If only they had a Shane Goss' bear type. If only. If only maybe they didn't trade a Shane Goss' bear type away for literally nothing. <laughs> Even worse than nothing. They had to trade They had to trade to other stuff him. for him. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't have anything else. Do you? I, I, mean, I think we had a good post-game show. I enjoyed this post-game. I very much enjoyed getting to do this at New Wave Cafe. Everyone here was outstanding. Uh, plenty of Guinness on tap. Big thumbs up for that. Hope, hopefully will not be the last the, uh, time we do a watch party. Hopefully not the last time we do a watch party here. But wanna wanna send a shout out to uh, to everyone who uh, who came out to the watch party. <laughs> 
very, very thankful to everybody who came out. Um, had good conversations with a lot of a lot of new people. Uh, shout out to uh, to Ethan and Cam who we uh, we spoke with during the entirety of the third period. Great, uh, great conversation. Great hockey convo. Um, but seriously, everybody that came out, thanks so much, and thanks so much to New Wave for for hosting us and having us for the course of the entire yeah. game. That ended up being a longer game than any of us expected it was going to be. It was as long of a game as you can basically possibly have. Yes. And that was it. But thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. That'll do it for us. For Charlie O'Connor, my name is Bill Matz. Happy Thanksgiving, Philly.